My title today is The Battle is Real. So we're not going in heavy, but we are talking about some serious stuff this morning. We've been working through the book of Ephesians over the last couple of months. We've been looking at our born identity, who we were created to be, crucifying the old life and becoming everything he intended us to be. Yeah? Last week was unbelievable. It was such a practical example of a practical summary of everything that we are in him. And if you didn't pick up one of those pieces of paper, the truth from Ephesians or whatever it was, get one. And if you didn't start working through it day by day, start because it was just gold. Listen to it on the podcast. It's no accident that the words I'm going to be talking about come at this point in Ephesians. We're meant to be looking at this passage I'm going to be speaking about from a point of knowing who we are and knowing our true identity in him. And our passage today starts really clear and really strong and we're just going to go for it. So here we are. Ephesians 6, 10 to 17. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This is the word of the Lord. Our tendency in the West is either to dismiss the reality of the spiritual world or to acknowledge it, but still kind of act like it doesn't exist. But this is a continuous central theme in the Bible, the whole way from Genesis through to Revelation, the battle between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness, between the spirit of truth and the father of lies, between the Christ and the Antichrist, between good and evil. And as Christians, we're given armor because there's a war. We're going to look at this war. C.S. Lewis speaks in the introduction to Screwtape Letters. He says about these two errors we can fall into regarding these things. I'm going to read this quote. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and an unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist and a magician with the same delight. I've heard people say, I'm a Christian. I'm immune. No. The armor of God is clearly for believers. The truth is actually you're not immune at all. You're the bullseye. And if we bury our head in the sand, we leave our target exposed. This message is for all of us today. 
But the one thing we have to remember this morning, the primary thing we remember, is that the victory has been won. Jesus made the perfect sacrifice that God demanded for sin. In Colossians 2 it says, And having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The problem that we face is that the powers and the authorities don't really want to acknowledge this victory. And they don't want to give up possession of the land. So what do we do? We have to exert our spiritual authority. We have to stand. and We have to retake ground. But what does this look like? We're going to go back a little bit. What happened when we became Christians? We have a new heart and a new spirit within us, yes? Our desires are orientated between, sorry, towards God and not to sin or to self. If we commit sin, we have a Holy Spirit to convict us of that sin, yeah? We have a new life in Christ, it talks about in Romans 6. In Ephesians 5, 8, it says, For at one time you were in darkness... But now you are light in the Lord. We've spoken about that new identity, that new life. Even more than that, we have a new master. Our spiritual authority is now God. And before, our spiritual authority was the enemy, was Satan. It says he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in Colossians 1. And our master is victorious. Yes? But our body didn't change. Our flesh, our old Adam nature, it wasn't taken away. Sin did not die. It was defeated. It was defeated that day on the cross, but it did not die. And we have a daily choice to live in the world, to live in the flesh, to live in this old Adam nature, or to live in the spirit. We have a choice to crucify the flesh daily. Because sin is now dead. We're now dead to sin. We also have this enemy who's the prince, the ruler of this world, who seeks to kill and destroy, it says in John 10.10. But with the gospel, we can stand. So how do we stand? How do we fight successfully? I suggest we have two things to do. I'm sure many more, but I'm going to talk about two. We need to understand what we're fighting against, and we need to know how to put on the armor of God. So, what are we fighting against? In the Greek, the devil is diabolos. It means to lie and to slander. Our enemy is not God. Our enemy cannot read our minds or our thoughts, but he listens to our words. What he does, he aggravates what's already in us through lies. Yes, we know this to be true. He's observed our lives and he knows our vulnerability. Yeah? And our temptations are unique to our areas of vulnerability. He stimulates those conversations in our hearts and our thoughts. He uses temptation and accusation. And we're going to have a quick look at these two things. 
One of his goals is to create and to produce strongholds in our lives. And these are formed when we repeatedly give in to temptation. I've heard it said that every temptation is an attempt to get us to live our life independently of God. I love the way that Tim Keller describes this. He really, yeah, it, it spoke to me. He says, temptation is having too high a view of ourselves that we go and do stuff we shouldn't. It's as though he hides God's holiness from us and how much he hates sin, but he plays up the love. How? He shows us the bait, but he hides the hook. He shows us the short-term pleasure, but not the consequence. I think this also happens when he overstresses or, or when we overstress the mercy of God. Just do it. He'll forgive. The idea of like, greasy grace. It makes us bitter over suffering. I've suffered. I deserve this. And he turns our attention to the people who maybe aren't living in the same way. Maybe they've, they haven't become Christians or they're, they're, they're living in the world. And they have great lives. And actually, it's not so bad for them. Playing by the rules doesn't really pay off. I think the other big one is that we compare one part of our life to the other. I'm really good at, good at that, I'm good at that, and I'm good at that. So this bit just doesn't really matter. This is nonsense. I love this verse in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Write it down. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so you can stand against it. Everybody is tempted. God is faithful. But this get out, the escape to our temptation is right at the beginning. When those tempting thoughts pass into our head, we've got the ability to say, actually, is this truth? And we, we, we make it obedient to Christ. Those tempting thoughts that aren't dealt with immediately can very easily turn into action. Repeating the action becomes habit. And we exercise that habit for long enough, produces stronghold. It says in Corinthians 10.5, take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. You know, we're going back into what we spoke about last week, about renouncing the lies we believe. He spoke about flushing the toilet, didn't he? Something comes in and we flush it away. And announcing the truth over that part of our life, day in, day out, until we know it to be truth. And the stronghold has lost its power. We've looked at temptation, but what about accusation? We have too low and a self-hating view of ourselves that we go and do stuff we shouldn't do. It's as though he hides God's love from us. He plays up the wrath and the holiness, but the love's somehow hidden. You're not good enough. You don't measure up. These are lies. And how, how does he do this? I suggest by causing us to look more at our sin than at our savior, by causing us to obsess about those things we've done, which we can do nothing about at this point. I think also by making us believe that we're the only one that has inner struggles and that other Christians have just got this sorted. And it's just nonsense. Guys, we must not be unaware of his schemes. And this is what we're fighting. 
And the answer's the same. We renounce, we flush away these lies. We announce the truth over that part of our life, what the word says, who we are. And when we speak that stuff over our lives, day in, day out, until we know it in the deepest part of our being to be the truth, that stronghold has lost its power. So, how do we put on the whole armor of God? In putting on God's armor, I just, the best way I can think of it is that we put on his son. We put on Jesus. In Romans 13, 14, it says, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, guys, we're not called to tag him on. I'm not Hannah and I don't tag Jesus onto my life. We're called to clothe ourselves wholly in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible describes Jesus as all of the things that it talks about in the armor of God in this passage. In John 14, 16, it calls Jesus the belt of truth. In 1 Corinthians 1.30, it talks about him being the breastplate of righteousness. In Ephesians 2.14, it speaks about him being the gospel of peace. In Psalm 28.7, it talks about the shield of faith. In 1 Thessalonians, the helmet of salvation. And in multiple places, it talks about the sword of the spirit, the word of God. Jesus is the fullness of the armor of God. Jesus in the fullness, sorry, is the armor of God. Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, the fullness of this gospel is everything we need to fight anything that comes our way and to stand. And what God has supplied, we have to apply. We must appropriate this armor, this teaching of this gospel into our lives. This is about really understanding and knowing the gospel. So we put on the gospel when we're accused. How, how do we do this? We say that all of our sins have been charged to the account of Christ. He was bruised for our tran- wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. That's what the word said, yes? And when do we need to put on this armor? We need to put it on now. Before we even smell a battle, we need to be ready. And I know for myself that there's a challenge, isn't there, when things are okay? When we're walking along and we're not really feeling the battle and we're not really feeling the challenges and we're not facing criticism and we're not, there's no perceived attack. There's no persecution. It's easy to coast, spiritually to coast. I can struggle to pursue my prayer life. I can struggle to pursue deepening my relationship with him. I I can listen, but not really listen. It's so easy to do, isn't it? And we cannot even recognize the battles, the small day-to-day battles that we're facing. Because actually, we're just not even tuned in. It's so easy for me just to give in to them, impatience, letting worry creep in, letting worldly mindset creep in. Social media is a, a, a thing for this. Oh, look at her. Look at this situation. Look at this. Issuing our judgments. It's so easy for these things to creep in, but when the flaming arrows come, actually, we're not, we're not guarded, we're not prepared. And maybe we're not standing. I know one thing about this, that Jesus is not going to put this on for us. He provided the answer, 
but this is for us to do. Yeah? He's not going to come and just whack this armor on you. This is not what this word says. We have to do this. It's about taking something that is true of ourselves and it being translated to become internally, subjectively true. It's like Christ's love. We're not, we're not called just to know about it, are we? We're called to experience it and have the joy of it. So, when we face criticism, when we're under attack, how do we behave? We behave like a secure, loved and accepted person. It's reflexive. We can have received our salvation. We can pray for people. We can have a bit of faith. We can have some peace. We can read the Bible. But are we using these things in the tiny little wincy, somehow insignificant battles of our life? These battles aren't insignificant. These are the things that shape our character. These are the battles of our lives. I haven't got time just to go into all of these different elements of the the armor of God, but I want to talk a little bit about the belt of truth because this is so foundational. I don't know if you know very much about the belt of truth, but the Roman soldiers wore these long robes and they were down when they were were resting. But when they were going to go into battle, they had to pull them up and they pulled them up into the, the belt. So the belt of truth, the belt is, signifies this absolutely foundational thing because if it's not used to pull this thing up, then actually they're impeded for battle. They can't, they can't fight. I've heard multiple people use this example and actually I think it's gold I'm going to use it. So we're going to look at Luke 8, to 25. One day he got into her boat with his disciples and he said to them, let's go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out and they sailed and he fell asleep. And the windstorm came down on the lake and they were filled with water and they were in danger. And they went and they woke him saying, master, master, we're perishing. And he woke and he rebuked the wind and the waves and they ceased and there was a calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid. And they marveled, saying to one another, Who is this that he commands even the wind and the waves, and they obey him? The storm storm comes suddenly, doesn't it? And violently, they're terrified. They're fearing for their lives. Master, don't you know? We're going to die. We're going to die. Help. And he wakes, and the storm is stilled. And it's so interesting what he says. Where is your faith? He doesn't say, Guys, you have no faith. He doesn't say, guys, you need more faith. He says, where is it? Pull it out. Come on. You're not putting this thing you know into practice. At this point, these guys have seen so much. They've seen his power. They've seen how he loves the people. They're in relationship with him. But even them, they're crap scared. They don't know him. They don't know him. They're not, their actions are not reflexively like, doing what they know to be true. Maybe they don't know it. You know, if these guys on the bank of the river were sitting there having a lovely chat about these things, they would say that he has all power, that he's able to do all things, that he is God, that, that they would be able to answer the questions correctly. But when the shit hit the fan... Actually, they didn't. 
Where is your faith? Even with him in the boat, it's, it's what I'm saying. It's taking the things that we know, the things that we're believing, and putting them on. So next time, automatically, reflexively, we're acting like what we know, that we're safe and that we're loved. To me, that's putting on the armor of God. We're going to have a look at a few of the other things, just a few thoughts. I can't go into big stuff about them. The breastplate of righteousness. What's a breastplate? It covers the vital organs, particularly the heart, which talks about being the seat of emotion. It protects our emotion. In Proverbs 4, it says, guard your hearts, for it's the wellspring of life. The thoughts of our hearts lead to feelings, don't they? And leads to act. Depression, fear, despair, worry, inadequacy, these kind of emotions. The passage is giving us our weapon against these things. I know this is simplistic, but it's just really important. This is simple truth. It's talking about God's gift of righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. This is how we protect against these things. What's righteousness? Simply, it's just the condition of being in right relationship with God. Yeah? So we're appropriating his righteousness. And that defeats our feelings of inadequacy. It's truth. This idea of the shield of faith. The shield gives protection from head to toe, yeah? So in times of doubt or in trouble, we put it on. And what happens? Jesus comes to our defense. He's our defender, yeah? The helmet of protection. What does the helmet protect? Our minds, you know. The enemy's been attacking our minds from the very, very beginning. Even think about the Garden of Eden. How subtly, how subtly he spoke to Eve. What did he say? He said, did God really say? This is Genesis 3. Did he really say that? The war for our minds, our thoughts, our attitudes is constant. And again, we spoke about this last week. It's about making sure that we're judging these thoughts according to truth. Not worldly stuff. It's about the word of God. I want us to look a little bit at the, the, the sword of the spirit, the word of God. Because this is so foundational to all of the other things. What we don't know, we can't use. David said in the Psalms, Psalm 119, 11, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. This is the one piece of armor that's used for attack as well as for defense. In Matthew 4, Jesus just tells us how to use this. In the wilderness, the tempter came, didn't he? He came and Jesus countered this attack with really, really simple words. What did he say? He said, it is written. He knew the word. He used the word. He applied the word. Hebrews 4.12 says, for the word of God is living and it's alive. It's active. So what do we do? It sounds heavy, but it's not heavy. This is truth, guys. It's about making sure that 
that we're aware of what the Bible says and actually applying what it says to our lives every day. He talks about standing firm three times in this passage. How do we stand firm? I've said it 20 times and I'm going to say it again. We need to know the truth. We need to know the word. We need to know the word of God. And we can't put on the armor of God without knowing the word of God. And we're given it. It's a beautiful gift. It's, it's everything. It's the answer to everything we're ever going to need. We need to be committed to our own spiritual formation. This is really key here. Nobody's doing this stuff for us. This is about us committing ourselves to working these things through inside of us. And he will help you. It's, it's, it's one of those prayers that when we say, God, I need your help with this, he just can't answer no. He just can't. It's not in his nature. He wants us to go deeper. He wants us to be stronger. He wants us to get this stuff. When we cry out to him to help us understand, help us understand what we are, who we are, what is done, he, he'll never say no to those things. Hearing and knowing are two different things, aren't they? We have to apply the word to our lives. I love those. When I was a teenager, they had those bracelets, didn't they? Like the what would Jesus do bracelets. But actually, I laugh about it now, but this is just, this is just intelligent. Like, what would Jesus do? What does the word of God say? These are the questions that have to be on our heart, in our mind all the time. The, 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 the interactions that we're having day by day. What would he do? What does his word say about this? And you know, we need to help each other. We need to champion each other on these things. Because this stuff, it's, it's not easy. It's not easy. And it's really countercultural. I'm coming to an end. And we're going to move into a time of waiting on God and hearing from him. There's going to be no pressure, no expectation, but there's an invitation for all of us to respond to what I believe his word is for us today. But more specifically, as I've been praying and preparing for this, I really believe as God has spoken to me very clearly about a word for today. And that word is apathy. Are we apathetic people today? And I think we really need to ask him to examine our hearts on this. Do we know what apathy means? Apathy is a lack of interest, enthusiasm, or concern. Are we indifferent to some of this stuff? Because God wants to tackle this. He wants to remove this. And he wants to break apart apathy, I believe, this morning. And what does he want to replace it with? Passion. Enthusiasm for his word and for his truth. Passion. I, I want more passion. I want more enthusiasm for these things. The piece of paper last week, my true identity, truth from Ephesians. I'm going to read it over us this morning. I think these guys are going are gonna to come up and we're going to start. We're going to worship a little bit in a minute. But I'm going to first, <laughs> I'm going to first, I want us just to, to be and to quieten ourselves 
to open our hearts and our minds to what he's doing this morning and just to listen to what Ephesians says about who we are. Okay? Ephesians 1, 2 says, I have grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1, 3 says, I have been blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. God has already done it. Ephesians 1, 4 and 5 says, I've been chosen by God and I've been adopted as his child. I'm part of his family. Ephesians 1, 6 says, God's undeserved favor is mine. He pours it out abundantly on me and there is more than enough. Ephesians 1, 7 says, I've been bought by God and I'm fully forgiven for absolutely everything I've ever done wrong. Ephesians 1, 13 says, I have been marked by God as his and this guarantees that my future is completely secure. Ephesians 1.19 says, God's incomparably great power is at work in me. And that power is the same power that God used in raising Jesus from the dead. I have resurrection power and life in me today. Ephesians 2.1 says, I have been made fully alive. Not only that, I have been seated right beside Jesus. And he is seated in authority over everything. So that means I am too. This is truth, guys. Ephesians 2, 7 says, God is going to show the world his greatness by showing his kindness to me. Ephesians 2.10 says, I am God's handiwork, created in Jesus Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for me to do. Ephesians 2.13 says, because of Jesus and the price he paid by dying for me, I have been brought near. I've been brought near to God. Ephesians 2.18 says, I have access through Jesus to the Father and it doesn't depend on me. Ephesians 2.19 says, I'm a fellow citizen with God's people. I'm a member of his household. I'm included. This is truth. It doesn't matter how you feel. This is truth. Ephesians 3.20 says, God is able to do immeasurably more than all I can ask or imagine in line with his power that's at work within me. What will this look like? Ephesians 5.8 says, I was in darkness, but now I'm in light. And finally, Ephesians 6.12 says, I have the whole armor of God available to me so I can stand strong and live well. This is truth, yeah? This is the word of God. But then there comes a choice, yeah? It's the next part. (laughs) Will we accept this? Will we love Will we deny ourselves? Will we pick up our cross and follow him again and again and again? Will we crucify the old life again and again and again? 
Will we choose to acknowledge that there's a battle? Or will we not? It's choice. Will we take the gospel, the truth, this new identity we've been learning about, and will we stand? That's what I'm sharing today. That's what I believe God's on with today. If that word about apathy, if you're listening to this stuff and there's stuff that's in the way, it's like there's a distance. And you kind of know this stuff to be true, but it's not really touching you. You know it from a distance, but actually it's, it's not coming close. It's not touching you. Then, then you have, there's a, apathy can be lying there at that point between those things. And I just, God wants to break that. And it's so easy. And if generally something's been stirred up in you this morning, like, don't just walk away and go home. Like, just pursue him. Ask him what he's on with. Ask him what he wants you to do. Ask him what, what your response to it should be. Let's pray with each other. Let's encourage each other this morning. And generally, in this church, we love to pray for anyone, for anything. So if you're in pain, if you've got a problem, if life's crap, Whatever you want to do, just let us pray. Don't leave that room. Don't leave this room. Don't go in back into your life if we haven't had the opportunity to just to tell you that you're loved and that, that God is just mm, on with you. He loves you and that, yeah, there's a plan and you're part of it. Yeah? Shall we?